Well, good morning and a warm welcome to uh, the service this morning, those who are in the building. It's good to see a number of us in the building this morning and those who are uh, tuning in the live stream. It's uh, good for us once more to be able to, to come together and to worship God. Uh, there are some who are visiting with us as well and it's good to have you and uh, some who perhaps have uh, not been for a while and it's good to have uh, everyone who's, who's gathered this morning. Uh, intimations, uh, just to uh, remind you that uh, the evening service will come online uh, just before 6 and we'll also have the, the in-person service here at 6 o'clock uh, and that will be taken by myself, God willing. We'll come to the, the end of the Psalter, Psalm 150, I think five years down the line, we come to the last Psalm, uh, so that's uh, this evening. So be encouraged to, to join in for that. Uh, the YF, I think, are still they're not on tonight. They met uh, on Friday night, so there's no YF tonight. Uh, but there is a prayer meeting on Wednesday on Zoom. Uh, so be encouraged to come along uh, to that also, please. Let's uh, unite our hearts now in prayer. Uh, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this your day. We thank you that once more you have given us the, the desire and the opportunity, the freedom to be able to come uh, into this place and to be able to in our own homes also, uh, tune in and uh, be able to unite our hearts together in worship and in prayer. You are the God who is worthy of all our praises and all our, our worship. And uh, we would seek this morning, uh, on this your day, to come and be still and know that you are God and that you are with us. Uh, we thank you for each person who is here this morning. Uh, we thank you for some who are here in the church building for the first time and in over a year, I think, having been uh, shielding and having been, uh, having been at home, as we were told to, for that long period. Uh, we praise you, Lord, that we are able now to, to come back together bit by bit. And uh, we ask, Lord, that you would continue to, to push back this virus and continue to, to guide us and lead us, give us patience and wisdom. And we ask that before long we would be able to, to come together as a whole congregation uh, to sing praise from our hearts with our lips uh, to the God who calls us to come. And we ask, Lord, that in this service today we would have our eyes fixed upon Jesus, that he would indeed be our vision, that he would be the Lord of our heart. We thank you for the truth of the hymn that we've sung and the encouragement that it brings to us as we, as we meditate upon it. Uh, you are our Saviour, Lord God. We thank you that the Father so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus, into this world to take the punishment from us on that cross so that as we trust in him, we can be forgiven, we can receive the eternal life that he alone can give to us. So make us, we pray, ever thankful for that. Give us eyes to see the cross. Uh, give us ears that we would hear the call of Jesus who says, come to me all who feel weary and burdened, uh, laid down under a weight of sin. And I will give you rest. Enable us, Lord, we, we pray, to know the presence of Jesus, the one who brings light into our lives, the one who guides us, the one who leads us, uh, the one who protects us when we find ourselves at times uh, on the battlefield uh, with the spiritual warfare uh, as a, a very real thing in our experience. So help us, we pray, not just to... to uh, to sing these words or to listen to these words being sung, but enable us to know the truth of these words in our lives. Enable us, we pray each of us, to look to, to trust in, and to walk close to Jesus. We pray for any who, who may be here or who may be listening 
at a distance uh, who have not yet trusted in Christ. We ask that even today there might be someone, there might be some who would respond to the call of Jesus to, to look to him and be saved. We pray for others, Lord, who may once have trusted you and walked close with you, but who may be some distance from you at this time. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that you are the one who calls the prodigals to return. And we ask, Lord, that if we've been drifting, whether for days or weeks or months or years, that uh, you would draw us back into that close walk with God. We ask, Lord, that you would minister to those who are struggling in different ways. We are conscious once more of the, the reality of grief and loss. Uh, we think of uh, Annie, who passed from time into eternity this week, and we commit uh, the family to you. We pray for Jeanette and for Chris and for the, the boys, for the extended family, Lord, that you would comfort them. As we continue to pray for, for Shona and as we continue to pray for, for Kirsty and the family, uh, we, we ask, Lord, that in our grief, uh, with that sense of loss that we feel, uh, we pray that we would know your comfort, that we would know your strength, that we would find refuge in the everlasting arms of God. Pray for those who are anxious today. Think especially of our, of our young people who are going through uh, assessments and exams, some who are in university, some in school, uh, some uh, who are in different phases of uh, assessment within their work context. And uh, we know the, the stresses that that can bring. We thank you that we can bring all our problems, all our stresses, all our worries and concerns and anxieties to the Lord Jesus in prayer, knowing that you're the God who understands, you're the God who, who helps us. So for those who are feeling the, the stress of uh, life at this time, we pray that uh, these worries would not choke us, but that we would be driven more and more to lean upon the Lord Jesus and put our faith in him. We pray Father, for those who are struggling with addictions, we ask that you would give them uh, that power that comes from, from you, uh, that uh, they would be enabled to break uh, the addictions that uh, they struggle with. We know that every addiction finds its root in sin. We are all addicted to, to sin and, and to different things in our, our lives, and we pray that you would enable us to, to repent each day, uh, to look to Jesus for the grace and for the strength that he alone can give. We pray for our, our young people, the children. Uh, we think of uh, the kids' clubs that we hope to start again soon. Uh, we ask that you would be preparing the hearts of the young ones. We thank you for uh, how they used to run around in the building here, looking back a year. And we ask that once more we would see them uh, enjoying themselves in your house and listening to the gospel and responding to the simple truth of uh, the, the news of Jesus and his love. And we thank you again that uh, we have young ones here today and we ask that you would bless them. Uh, from the very youngest uh, to those who are uh, going up into secondary school and thinking about the prospect of going uh, from here to university. We commit each one to you as we commit the older ones to you as well. We pray for those in homes, those in Harris House, uh, those who are housebound and find it hard to, to get out of their house at this time. Uh, we ask, Lord, that you would minister to each one. So hear our prayers, take away our sin, uh, keep us looking to Jesus, we pray, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you haven't left us uh, this morning or any morning to, to think our own thoughts and to exchange our own ideas. We know that our own ideas don't go very deep. They can be very shallow. But we thank you that your words are deep, and we thank you that 
your words, like the disciples said, uh, are the words of everlasting life. We thank you that as we open the Bible, uh, we learn more about uh, who you are and how much you love us, the depth of your love. We thank you that as we open the Bible, we, we see ourselves as like a mirror and we see how bad we can be and uh, how much you love us anyway and how much you have done, uh, Lord Jesus, to save us. We thank you that you went to a cross, Lord Jesus, to take our sin away when we ask you to. And we thank you that you promise in your word that when we trust you and when we ask you to come into our lives, you'll come in. And once you come in, uh, you never leave. So help us to be in our Bibles, we pray. Help us, Lord, to hear your voice, uh, to see your face, and to be trusting you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to uh, go to God's Word now. If we could turn to Luke chapter 10, please, and we'll look at verses uh, 1 to 24. This is God's Word. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house eating and drinking whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. He who listens to you listens to me, and he who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The seventy-two returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Amen. And may God bless that reading of his word uh, to us. We'll pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, once more we, we pray that uh, you would help us, uh, that you would give to us that, that simplicity of outlook of vision, uh, that we would be humble uh, like little children, uh, not relying on our own understanding, not uh, seeking to use our own 
intellect or depend on our own intellect to understand uh, your word. We acknowledge that we cannot understand, we cannot see, we cannot hear unless you help us. And so we pray for that help just now. Uh, We pray that you would open our eyes to see Jesus. We keep on praying that because we know it's so necessary for us to pray that. So help us, Lord, uh, here. Help the children in Sunday school. We pray for the congregations around us, uh, the different denominations that open your word this morning in this place and further afield. And we ask that whatever the the gospel is preached, Lord God, that you would be adding your blessing, uh, that you would be building your church, that you would be turning us to look to and to trust in Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. If you could have your Bibles open, please, at uh, Luke chapter 10. And I want to begin today uh, by, uh, by thinking about a word uh, and this word will kind of be the word that we lock on to uh, for this morning. It's the word mission. I want to think this morning about mission. And it's a word, even if we take it out of the church context, uh, we recognize it. It's fairly commonly used in, in, in secular uh, life. Uh, if you search up the word mission and then you go to, to look at the, the, the news stories, I think the first page and a half anyway, as far as I, I looked, um, it was... Various stories about missions from this world uh, to outer space. Space missions to Mars and missions to, to different planets. So we think about mission, we sometimes think about space missions, astronauts and that kind of thing. But then if we think about businesses uh, and business speak, uh, successful businesses or large organizations or even smaller organizations uh, will be clear on their mission. They'll have a mission statement that's somewhere up in a wall. And they will pursue uh, that mission with uh, great focus and resolve. So mission is something which we recognize in, in normal life, in secular life in this world. And mission is a word that we see very clearly in, in Scripture. We think about Jesus. Jesus came to this world. He came from heaven to this world. And he came on a mission. Not a holiday. Not a, an information gathering exercise. He didn't come on a PR trip from heaven. He came on a mission. And it was a mission to save us. That was why he came. He came to save us because in our sin, we were dying. We were hopeless. So God so loved the world. Such was the depth of his love as we thought that he left heaven, came to this world to save us. And how would he save us? Well, the amazing truth of the gospel is that God the Son would save us not by flexing his muscles, not by asserting uh, some kind of majestic otherworldly power, but he would humble himself. He would look no different to anyone else. There was nothing about his appearance that made him stand out. He wouldn't have been on the front page of these glamorous magazines because of his good looks. He was ordinary looking, the God-man, and he came to save us. He humbled himself and was obedient all the way to death on a cross. That was his mission. And we see Jesus, if we flick back just to to Luke chapter 9, just to remind ourselves of where we were at, uh, we see Jesus uh, explaining his mission to the disciples. Luke 9.22, he said, The Son of Man, that's himself, uh, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. That's my mission, said Jesus to his disciples. We're heading to Jerusalem. We're heading to suffer. I'm going to die to save you. They didn't get it. 
So he tells him again in Luke chapter 9, verse 44. He says, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. Jesus is crystal clear on his mission. And even though he knows the suffering that's involved, he is absolutely committed to his mission. And as we see Jesus come close to Jerusalem uh, in Luke chapter 9 and verse 51, uh, we see the focus and the resolve of Christ. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And in that resolve of Jesus, as he sees the cross and yet still advances, in that resolve of Jesus, we see his love for us. We see the determination of God to make it possible for those who are lost in sin to be saved through through him. J.C. Ryle says this, he says, Forever let us bless God, that we have such a ready and willing Savior. Forever let us remember that as forever let us remember that as He was ready to suffer, so He is always ready to save. The person that comes to Christ by faith should never doubt Christ's willingness to receive Him. The mere fact that the Son of God willingly came to, to the world to die and willingly suffered should silence such doubts entirely. All the unwillingness is on the part of man, not of Christ. It consists in the ignorance and pride and unbelief and half-heartedness of the sinner himself. But there is nothing lacking in Christ. He came to save us. He calls us today, having completed his mission, he calls us to be saved. And if we are not saved, it's not because of a lack in him. It's not because of an unwillingness in him. It's because of an unwillingness in us to come with empty hands, and ask for that salvation. So we see the mission of Jesus here. Uh, but as we go from Luke chapter 9 to Luke chapter 10, uh, we, see, we see that Jesus not only came on a mission, but he, he sent his people out on a mission. Jesus uh, sends 70 or, or 72, depending on your translation, the, the word is unclear. Uh, he sends them out on a mission to every town and place to go ahead of him to essentially go and introduce the people in these towns and places to Jesus. So the mission that Jesus called his disciples to back then and still today, it isn't complicated, it's actually very clear. Jesus says to you and I, he says, your mission is to introduce people to me. Why? Well, Jesus responds by saying, because I love them and I can save them. So if you and I are are scratching our heads this morning, why we're wondering why we're on this earth, then this is why we're on this earth. It's to come to know Christ and then to make him known. Sometimes, you know, the children in the holidays can say, oh, there's nothing to do, I'm bored. And you say to them, there's a million things you can be doing, you just don't want to do them. And sometimes God's people, uh, we Christians, can, can say, there's nothing for me to do. I don't want to go to some of the meetings that are on. And I want to, to serve God, but there's nothing for me to do. There's plenty for you and I to do. We are called day by day, every place that we go, to introduce people to Jesus. So I want to think about this mission in the time that we have. And I won't tell you how many points I've got. I'll just begin with point number one. Point number one. Jamie looked at his watch when I said that. Point number one, uh, a mission for the committed. This chapter begins in verse one with these words, after this. So as Jesus begins to speak, uh, we're we're given a sense uh, that what he's saying now is off the back of what he's just said. And so when we read these words in verse one uh, of uh, chapter 10, after this, we have to ask the question, after what? And if we glance back to Luke chapter 9, uh, we have this section 
uh, where there's a whole lot of challenge packed into it because we're given a description of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. We're given a, a description of what it looks like to follow him. You know, sometimes there are these TV shows on uh, where we're given insight into the selection process of, 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 for example, the SES. Do you have these reality shows where 40 contestants are, are brought onto this training program and they go through all these different tests and trials to see if they can progress? It's essentially designed to test the levels of commitment of the contestants. And if we look at Luke chapter 9, that's kind of what Jesus does. He has a vast crowd of people who are following him around, but he has to shrink them. He's trying, to, he's trying to identify those who are truly committed. So he challenges those who profess to follow him about the pride that they need to repent of. And he challenges them about the poverty that they may have to face if they're going to be his followers. And he challenges them about the absolute priority that he demands in their lives. And as we just glance back at that chapter and think back on, on uh, last Sunday's sermon, we can imagine this vast crowd getting smaller and smaller as people listen to Jesus and feel the bite of that um, challenge and say, you know, this, is, this following Jesus stuff is just not something I can commit to. You know, I have interests, I have hobbies, I have work. You know, I have, I have other priorities in my life. And, and what Jesus is asking for is, is, too, is too difficult. So I'm walking away. We can imagine uh, many from that big crowd who had been emotionally touched but didn't have gritty, persevering faith walking away. And Jesus doesn't chase them. And so now in Luke chapter 10, Jesus, he isn't speaking to vast crowds anymore. He's speaking to a much reduced number. He's speaking to a smaller group of committed disciples. And he sends them out on a mission. So first of all, this is a mission for the committed. The second point to note here is that this is a mission for every believer. Because there's a danger that we could, we could look at this and read into this and say, well, this mission that Jesus is speaking about, it's not for me. This is, this is for the, the super holy. This is for the, the SAS of the Christian faith. This is for the Christian elites. But it isn't. Jesus is speaking to all the disciples that were gathered before him. The crowd had dispersed. The non-disciples had gone home. Now he's speaking to a smaller group of disciples. And what we see here is that this mission that Jesus calls his people to, yes, it's for the committed, uh, dying to self, cross-carrying disciples, but the truth is that's a description of every disciple. You can't be a disciple and not deny self and pick up the cross. That's the definition of discipleship. Somebody said, I couldn't find who said it, uh, it costs nothing to become a Christian, but it costs everything to be a Christian. J.C. Ryle said, a religion that costs nothing is worth nothing. A cheap Christianity without a cross will prove in the end a useless Christianity without a crime. And so Jesus, he's sending every believer out on this mission. We have in verse uh, one, uh, the Lord Jesus uh, appointing uh, 72, it says in the NIV, it says 70 in other translations, uh, and he sends them. And there's a whole lot of theories that you can read about in commentaries about the, the number and the significance of the, the number that's used. And it's fairly unclear in my opinion. But I think what's clear is that this number that Jesus uses, that Luke gives us, it represents the whole company of God's people. Seven in the Bible is that number of completion. It's entirety. And so Jesus, he's sending out the whole company of those who profess to follow him. 
He sends them out in mission. Wilcock, the commentator, says the 12 symbolizes the patriarchs of Israel, while the 70 may symbolize the people of Israel, all the people. So this is a mission for every believer. It's a mission for the committed, yes, but every believer must be committed. Can't be a believer and not be committed. So this is a mission for every believer. The third point here is this is a mission by the Lord's appointment. It says in verse 1, after this, the Lord appointed the 72 others and he sent them. And just note in that uh, verse the authority that there is. The Lord appointed them and he sent them out on this mission. Ina and uh, Adrian, who I'm seeing over there, it was their 60th wedding anniversary uh, a few weeks, maybe a month or two back. And uh, they showed me a card that they got from the Queen. And uh, the, the card had nice things in it. But the in- one of the interesting things was the envelope. Because the envelope that the card was in had uh, very firm instructions to, to James McLean, uh, who's delivering the post. When the letter came uh, from the, the palace, uh, there was very clear, strong instructions about how it would be delivered and when it would be delivered and what would happen if it wasn't delivered. You know, this delivery was by royal appointment. There was authority in it. That's the kind of royal force that's coming through here. Jesus is king of kings. And in that capacity, he sends his people out on his mission. Remember the Mission Impossible films? Every film would begin uh, with that uh, line. Uh, The special agent would hear the the words on the tape. uh, Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is whatever. Jesus' agents in this world uh, don't hear that line. Our mission is not optional. This mission that Jesus calls us to is not simply for those who feel like it. It's not for those who choose to accept it. This mission is by the Lord's appointment. And that should give those of us who are actually engaged and active on the mission, it should give us courage. Sometimes we go out and we think, why? Who am I to speak? What can I say? Well, that should give us courage. Uh, we are appointed by God to go out and introduce people to Jesus. So we should be given courage as we think about that. We're sent out by Jesus. And this perhaps should give a word of rebuke to those who are are off mission, who are living just for whatever pursuits that we we have in our diaries. This is a call of rebuke that we are reminded here by Jesus uh, what we've been appointed to. This is a mission by the Lord's appointment. Fourth point, this is a mission where there's no lone rangers. We've all seen the westerns. You know, where the, 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 the mysterious picture of the, the Lone Ranger is in our, in our screen. And the Lone Ranger, he, you know, he, he does his own thing. He, he goes his own way. He needs no one. He's accountable to no one. This enigmatic kind of figure who just wanders around. Well, there's no Lone Rangers in the mission that Jesus sends us on. He sent them out, verse 1, two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So that when he got there, people would be looking for and expecting and looking forward to to hearing Jesus. There's great wisdom in this. No lone rangers. You know, when we're isolated, we very quickly get discouraged. We we give up. Or when we're isolated, doing our own thing, uh, we can sometimes get proud, end up doing damage. Or we can lose focus and end up somewhere we shouldn't be. You were much more vulnerable to go off track and get into difficulty when we're on our own. Remember, Jesus wasn't on his own. He called the 12 to be with him. And at certain points in his ministry, he called three of the 12 to come very close to him. He needed fellowship with them. Think about Paul. 
Paul never goes out on his own on a mission. We read about Paul and Barnabas. Uh, we read about Paul and Silas. Uh, Paul in Philippians 1 verse 5. He's quick to give thanks for the partnerships in the gospel that he, he so much values. But he never goes out on his own as a lone ranger doing his own thing. So this is a mission that we're sent out on. But it's two by two. No lone rangers. You, know, you might hear my voice more than most voices here. Uh, but I'm just one of a team of elders. Not above them, I'm not below them. I'm with them. When I go off track, they're quick to tell me. It's the way it should be. And the gospel work that you and I are called to engage in at the personal level, involve each other. Tell each other what you're doing, who you're speaking to, who you're praying for, how it's going, when you're encouraged, when you're discouraged. This is partnership. No lone rangers. Sixth point, fifth point, sorry, this is a mission with, with promise. Sometimes we can be asked to do a job and we just know from the beginning that uh, the job we've been asked to do is just never going to work. When that's the case, it just makes it really hard to be enthusiastic about the, the task. I remember planting potatoes in Loch Carran one year, spent a day and a half turning the ground and then planting the seed, etc. And uh, when it came to harvest time, there was nothing. It was a few shaws, but the potatoes that came out of the ground looked smaller than the ones that I put into the ground. So when it came to the next year, at potato planting time, I had no enthusiasm to go back out and do it again. But if I'd had the promise of a plentiful harvest, I'd have been out with the seed. Or for the business person, if they had the guarantee of profit and return, they'd be out doing the job. And this mission that Jesus calls us to, it comes with the promise, not the possibility, but with the promise of a plentiful harvest. Jesus said in verse uh, one still would in uh, the harvest is plentiful not it might be but it is plentiful Wearsby the commentator says these men were to be harvesters in a field that was ready but neglected is that a description of Tarbert a field that is ready but neglected I don't know are, are we speaking to people about Jesus the harvest is plentiful says Jesus so we're giving great encouragement here lots of work you can give yourself to that may yield nothing very much but this work that Jesus calls us to comes with a guaranteed, a promised return. There will be a harvest. Isaiah 55, 11, My word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So be encouraged. This is a mission with a promise. Sixth point. This is a mission driven by prayer. He told them, verse 2, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And we see here that mission begins and mission is driven forward by prayer. You know the biggest issue that there is in the church in the UK at the moment, not talking about the free church, but across the board, the biggest issue that there is, the biggest problem that there is in the church at the moment is a shortage of ministers. There is hundreds of empty pulpits. There are so many communities uh, where we can see where a church could and should be planted. But there's no ministers to go. So what do we do? Well, Jesus says pray. That's where to start. Be aware that when you pray, you may feel a, a tap on the shoulder, as I did years ago, saying, I've heard your prayer, now are you willing to go? But when we think about the harvest here, Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. Now, are we seeing plentiful fruit at present? 
Are we seeing multiple conversions? Many, many people turning to Jesus and giving their lives to him. Uh, We're not really seeing that. We're seeing ones and twos and we're thankful for that. But we're not seeing plentifulness. So what should we do? Well, we should pray. And I don't want to use this point as a, a point to hammer us down with. Because we know, me first, we all need to pray more than we do. But on reflection, thinking about past months of lockdown, uh, the most encouraging thing for me about lockdown is that almost every member of this church, almost every office bearer, is at the prayer meeting every single week. We have double, treble probably, the number of people who were at the prayer meeting in the room before, now week by week coming to the place of prayer. And if we are engaged in prayer at heart level and asking God to convert people, we have... We can have huge optimism as we look forward. The harvest is plentiful. Jesus says pray. If we go out with a seed on the mission that we're sent to, we can believe that we will see a harvest in God's time. Point seven. This is a mission that's dangerous. Jesus says in verse three, Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. We're not going out on this mission uh, like lions. We're going out like lambs among wolves now what chance what chance do lambs have against wolves well no chance lambs are eaten by wolves unless the shepherd comes between them and the wolves and so on this mission that we're called out to we need the constant protection of jesus the good shepherd we need to stay close to him we can't do this on our own we have no strength to do this on our own Uh, we're totally vulnerable we will fall and fail we'll be savaged on our own Because we will be attacked. But we're to go out anyway. Staying close to the shepherd. Morning by morning. Ephesians 6 being clothed with the armor of God. But there's a reality about this. If you're going to respond to this call. This command. This appointment of the Lord Jesus. uh, We're not going out into a life of um, tranquility and and peace. And um, constant ease. We're going out on a mission that's dangerous. We won't always be welcomed. Verses 10 and 16 make that clear. We will on occasions face rejection uh, and opposition, so we need to expect that. We're going into spiritual warfare. It's dangerous. Jesus makes no bones about that. He's sending us out on a mission that is spiritually dangerous. Point eight. This is a mission that requires focus and contentment. Uh, Scan down from verses four to verse uh, seven. Jesus Uh, makes clear that on this mission that he's sending us out on we're not to go carting suitcases full of stuff because the stuff will hold us back when we're supposed to be doing the job we're not to bring a purse and a bag and and sandals verse four because the lord will provide what we need we're not to be dithering along the road yarning all day about the weather and whatever else because there's an urgency about the work we're called to we're to get there we're not to be looking uh, for the nicest house with the finest food the best accommodation. We're to be content with what the Lord gives us and focused on the job that he, he calls us to. This is a mission that requires focus and contentment. A single-mindedness. I was reminded of a, a guy that I, I knew in, in uh, Kishorn days. His name was Alec McInnes. I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying. I'm, I'm sure he's not listening, but if he was, I don't think you'd object to this. But Alec was an, is a nice guy. And uh, when you spoke to him, Within five minutes of any, any conversation at any point, he would get the conversation to where it was, round to fish farming. He was absolutely fixated with fish farming. That was his work, and he loved his work, 
and he was so thrilled in his work, he was so contented in his work, whatever you spoke about, five minutes later you were talking about fish farming. There was that focus, there was that contentment. And we need something of that in a far greater measure. We need that focus, we need that contentment in our, our walk with God and in the work, in the mission that Jesus calls us to, uh, to be fishers of men. A mission that requires focus and contentment. Point nine, they're almost done. This is a mission that requires practice and preaching. Verse 9, Jesus says, Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. And see the balance in that verse. He sends out these people, these missionaries of Jesus, uh, they will care for those who are sick. They won't walk past them and they will care not only for the bodies of those who are sick, but they will care for the souls of those who are lost. Practice and preaching. You know, if people hear about Jesus from us, Uh, through our preaching, but they see nothing different about our lives through our practice. They won't believe. Why should they? Ralph Waldo Emerson um, was famous for this quote, who you are speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. If our lives speak loudly in terms of uh, unbelief and disconnect from Christ, then what we say about Jesus will never be listened to. On the other hand, if people see something different in us, uh, like hope, but we never tell them that Jesus is the reason for the hope that's in us, they'll never look to Jesus because they won't know where this hope comes from that's in us. St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. The reality is it is necessary to use words. It's necessary to use words in the mission that Jesus calls us to, but our lives should back up and not drown out our words. This is a mission that requires practice and preaching. And finally, point 10, this is a mission that concerns eternal realities. Harris played point uh, on Monday, I think it was, of last week at football. And uh, I understand they played well. Somebody's shaking their head. I was told they played well, um, but uh, they lost. I think it was 5 or 6-1. But it was just a friendly game. Pre-season, friendly, no cup, no league, no points. It's nothing at stake. Now what we see here as we finish is how much is at stake when it comes to this mission. The kingdom of God, heaven, could be gained by those who believed in this message that the disciples brought out and met with and trusted Jesus. Those who believed and met Jesus, they would be saved eternally through the work, the mission the disciples were called to. And those who rejected the message, rejected the disciples, and rejected the Christ that the disciples spoke of, We're told in verses 12 to 16 that eternal woe, hell, would await them. That was the situation back then. These were the stakes the disciples were dealing in. And you know, nothing's changed. That was the situation. That remains the situation today. The message hasn't changed. Your mission and mine is we are to point people to Jesus. We are to introduce people to Jesus. We are to tell them about the one who lived for them and died for them and rose so that they could be saved. So that they could have their names written in the book in heaven. And yet the truth is, the truth remains that we are to tell people that those who reject Jesus, they die eternally. There is a a warning here that those who reject Christ on the final day, uh, they will be cast into hell. It's stark truth that we're dealing with here. Believe in Jesus Be saved eternally. Rejoice in the assurance that your name is in heaven or reject Jesus. Die eternally and be warned that on the final day you'll be cast into hell.
These are the eternal realities that face all of us. And if we see that today, it's because God has revealed it, verse 22. He has blessed us, verse 23, in opening our eyes to see this. And he is giving us today the opportunity to believe in Jesus and be saved. So if you're not a Christian, and you're sitting here today or you're sitting at home today, hear the call of Christ. Listen to the warning that is starkly uh, communicated through these words. Believe in Jesus and be saved. And if you and I are people who are saved, whose names are written in the kingdom of heaven, remember the challenge of these words today. You and I are here not to make money, not to make a comfortable little lives for ourselves. Christian, you and I are here to tell people about Jesus. We have been sent out on mission by the Lord's appointment. And we are to tell people in every town and place about him. So may God enable us to do that. We'll stand now for the benediction. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen. Well, good evening. A warm welcome to the service this evening. Those who are in the building and those who are watching online. Uh, those also who listen in on the telephone uh, sometime. Uh, later it's good for us to come together again and to worship god and uh, it's good to have uh, some visitors with us uh, here tonight i think um i was expecting some visitors i'm not sure if i'm seeing any uh, yes we are yeah it's good to see some visitors with us tonight and it's good to have uh, some students uh, who've been away for a while back home so good to see you kyle and uh, others who may be coming back over the next few weeks let's uh, unite our hearts now in prayer let's pray our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you once more at the end of uh, this Lord's Day that you have taken us to this place, this place where you have promised that you will meet with us. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the assurance that you give us through your word that where we come together in the name of Jesus, even if it be only a few of us, you will meet with us, presence yourself uh, amongst us. And we ask, Lord, that we would know that, that we would sense that presence of God in this place. We pray that you would still our hearts. We pray that you would take away from our minds much of the the troubles, the cares, the anxieties of this world that sometimes can can block us from being able to worship you. We confess, Lord, that uh, these anxieties and struggles in this world, the cares of this world, as Jesus put it, uh, they can come up and they can choke us. They can sometimes... Uh, they can sometimes cause us to lose sight of you. But we thank you, Lord, uh, that we are promised that as we keep our eyes upon Jesus, uh, you will sustain us, uh, you will strengthen us, you will give us all that we need to keep on keeping on. So enable us, we pray, in this hour to truly be in worship. Take away the anxieties, the, the stray thoughts. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, cleanse us from the sin that we confess, we look back over past days and we can think of situations, we can think of conversations, we can think of things that we should have done that we haven't and things that we shouldn't have done that we have. We can think of hours that we may have wasted, priorities which we may have put ahead of you. And we confess, Lord, all that amounts to sin and we pray that you would cleanse us in the blood of Christ. And we ask, Lord, that in this hour also that you would empty us of self, we are people who are so quick to be turned in on ourselves. But we pray that you would uh, enable us not to have eyes on self, but to have eyes on Jesus. 
We pray that you would enable us to say and to say with sincerity what John the Baptist said. He, Jesus, must increase and I, self, must decrease. So we pray, Lord, that would be our mindset, that that would be our, our hearts as we seek to draw near to you this evening in worship. And we thank you, Lord, that as we seek to draw near to you, you have promised that you will draw near to us. And equally, when we seek to return to you, you have promised that you will return to us. When we humble ourselves, when we repent of sin, when we cry out to you, whether as individuals or whether as a land, we thank you that you hear our prayers, you hear our cries, and you are able to answer, you are able to heal. And so, Lord, we pray for that. We pray for that for ourselves and our own lives. We pray for that uh, for our nation. We confess, Lord, that we, we have strayed and we do stray far from you. But we thank you, Lord, that in this day we still have the freedom to be able to worship you. We listen to those that are in authority over us and we hear so little in the way of respect, in the way of fear of God. And that grieves us, Lord, as we know it grieves you. But we pray, Lord, that uh, you would turn us back to yourself. You've called us to pray for those that you've allowed to be in authority over us. And we would seek to do that even now. Those in positions of power, in politics, in this country and across uh, different countries in this world. We acknowledge, Lord, that you are the sovereign God. Nothing happens without uh, your permission. And uh, you've called us to, to bring those individuals that you've allowed to be in these positions before you in prayer. And so we do that now and we ask, Lord, that uh, you would enable us to know under uh, their government uh, peace and the freedom to be able to worship. We feel sometimes that that is under threat, but we pray against agendas that would seek to, to stifle the gospel. And we ask, Lord, that we would continue to know the, the, the freedom that we have to preach, to proclaim Christ, and to gather together in worship. We pray for the Prime Minister, we pray for the First Minister, we pray for those who are Christians in government. We pray especially for Kate Forbes, whom we've heard from in the past here. We thank you, Lord, for the encouragement of reading an interview with her this week, where she clearly uh, spoke of our faith in Jesus, of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And we pray that you would uh, bless her for, for that clarity of witness, and we pray that you would protect her, as we expect there will be a backlash uh, against that. Uh, give to her courage and wisdom. Enable her to seek first your kingdom as we pray that you would enable each of us to seek first your kingdom. We pray for countries where there is no such freedom to worship. We've heard of some of them in past weeks and times of prayer midweek. Uh, we think of Pakistan, we think of India, we think of Iran, we think of Iraq, we think of the DPRK and the little that we know of the horrors that your people have to endure in that place grieves us. But we pray that you would strengthen them. We pray that you would encourage them. And we thank you, Lord, that we hear so many testimonies of how in these places where the persecution is most acute, the gospel goes forth with greatest power. So we continue to pray for those whom we have not met in time, uh, but who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray for those who are struggling this evening. We pray on for those who are grieving, asking that you would give to them comfort. Pray for those who feel that uh, sense of loss of loved ones having been taken from a time, this time into eternity. We pray for others who, who have that sense of grief as 
relationships in this world can be severed and they can be broken. And as we think of them, Lord, we ask that you would draw near to them also. Uh, In this world, uh, there is much in the way of trouble, but we thank you that Jesus has overcome this world. And we thank you that as we call out to Christ ourselves and as we bring others to Jesus in prayer, Lord God, you are able to bring the comfort and the strength and the grace that is sufficient for all things. We ask, Lord, that you would be with those who are on holiday with us and those who uh, will come into the island in future weeks. We pray for your blessing upon them and for times of refreshment. We thank you for the students who have come back and who are coming back. We pray also that they would know times of refreshment over the summer months and that uh, they would know a close walk with you. And uh, we thank you, Lord, for your protection of us. Uh, We are thankful for the encouragement of being able to meet together in uh, greater numbers than we we did at one time. And yet we remember that we are still uh, only a small gathering compared to uh, days gone by. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for your protection over us uh, over this year of pandemic. Uh, We thank you for so much of your guarding of us as we have seen so little in the way of infection in the island here. We thank you for those who have cared for us and those who have guided us through these difficult times. And Lord, we thank you that uh, you are the sovereign God and that even in circumstances that we could never have imagined and circumstances that we would never have chosen, we thank you that you have continued to work and continued to prove that you are faithful and that we are able to trust you. And we thank you, Lord, above all for the cross of Jesus. As we reflect on the words of the hymn, we thank you for the one who bore our pain, the one who took our disgrace upon himself in order that we could have life that is eternal. And so help us, we pray, to look to, to fix our eyes on Jesus. Help us, we pray, to come to the cross of Christ if we have never come there before, confessing sin and seeking salvation. And enable us, if we are your people, uh, to never stray any distance from the cross, but each day to come back to Calvary, to be filled with thankfulness to you for all that you have done for us in your grace. To hear our prayers, cleanse us from sin, fill us with the Holy Spirit, and enable us, we pray, as we open your word, to meet with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. If you could open your Bibles now, please, at Psalm 150. Psalm 150. And we'll read the whole of this uh, short psalm. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We'll pray once more as we come back to the word. Enable us, Lord, we pray, uh, to hear your voice. Enable us to sense your presence. And enable us from our hearts truly to praise you with the psalmist as we gather in your presence and as we bow before your throne. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to see some boys and girls here tonight. I'm going to give you a wee word of encouragement. We'll definitely be finished before 7 o'clock tonight. I'm sorry I've been a bit late the last few weeks. 
But uh, we're going to move uh, through this short psalm quite quickly. And I want to begin this evening uh, by thinking about the fact that all of us get invitations. In fact, boys and girls, maybe you can can, uh, answer that question for me. What kind of invitations do we get in this in this life? Do you know what, what's an invitation, first of all? Any ideas? Caitlin? Pardon? It's when somebody says, do you want to come to a place? So there's lots of times in this life that we get invitations. What kind of things do we get invited to? Can you think? Lewis? Parties, yeah. We get invited to parties. Andrew? Weddings, yes. I'm going to a wedding on Tuesday. I'm going to do a wedding on Tuesday. Nanny's granddaughter, Sheila's is getting married on Tuesday in the Harris Hotel. So I'm looking forward to that wedding on Tuesday. So that's a good answer. So weddings and parties and anything else? Can you think? doesn't matter if you can't think. No, that's enough. Well, we all get invitations to different places, don't we? Maybe some people get invited to come to church. I don't know, if the first time you came to church, is it because someone invited you? Probably. And every day we get invitations. We might not always... Uh, we might not always realise it, but every day we're getting invitations. On the day I was beginning preparing this message, um, it was just before 11 o'clock, and I thought to myself, how many invitations have I had today? So I looked in my junk mail folder in my email, and I had uh, an invitation to buy shirts from Fat Face from 20% off. I had an invitation to buy cashmere from the House of Brewer. don't know how on earth I got that. An invitation to buy footwear from Millet's. Uh, lightwear fleeces from outdoor and country. I had an invitation from Barhead Travel to book a holiday and TU to make some plans come rain or shine. And that was all just one morning in my junk mail folder. Lots and lots of invitations. And as the boys and girls have said, we get lots of invitations in, in life. We get invitations to go to weddings. We get invitations sometimes uh, to meet up for a coffee. I imagine this week, past uh, when we've had a bit of freedom somebody might have said you want to come to the house let's have a cup of tea together there's lots of invitations that we get in this uh, in this life and this psalm the short psalm that we've read it's an invitation that comes from God through the psalmist we're not sure who wrote this psalm and it comes to us so this evening as we've read this psalm we have an invitation from God uh, to to us to praise him John Stodd, the commentator, says every verse is an invitation to praise, telling us where and why, how and by whom the praise of God should be expressed. So let's think just for a few minutes this evening about this invitation. Let's open up this invitation and consider this invitation and respond to this invitation that we're given to praise God. Four points this morning. Don't worry, there's not going to be ten points tonight as well. Four points this morning. The first point, I didn't tell Stuart this, the first point is the focus of our praise. Uh, The second point is the field of praise. The third point is the fours of praise. And the final point we have this evening is the fullness of praise. That kind of gives us the structure for the psalm. And it begins with that focus of praise. Now, most of us have phones, don't we? And on our phones, there's lots of different apps that we have. And one thing that young people tend to use more than we uh, tend to use is the cameras. They're always on the cameras. 
And if you open up the camera on a phone and you point it in the direction of something, the camera lens will immediately search for the focus of the picture. Uh, so if there's individuals, if there's people in the, in the frame, the camera lens will immediately fix onto these people, onto these faces and try to get focus. Now what's the focus of the psalmist's praise as the psalm opens? That's the question and the answer very clearly comes from the beginning of the psalm. The focus is on God. As we open this psalm, we're not immediately to look at ourselves, although the Bible is like a mirror that shows us ourselves, but the, the focus of the psalm from the very beginning is God. Praise the Lord. Praise God. And that's the kind of verse that we might just note very briefly and move on from. And yet, even as we think about these opening words of introduction, even the names of God that the psalmist uses should stir us to praise. Who are we invited to praise? Well, we're invited to, to praise the Lord, verse 1. And the words that's used there for the Lord is the word Yah, Jehovah, short for Jehovah. And that's the covenant name for God. We praise the God who hasn't hidden himself from us and pushed us back, but we praise the God who has revealed himself to us and called us forward. We praise the God who, who has told us his name. We praise the God who's shared with us the, the great love that he has for us. We praise the Lord. There's some people that we, that we meet, that we encounter in life, and we might want to get to know them. We meet them and we, we feel a, an affinity with them. And we want to actually get close to them. But as we try to speak to them, they close us down. They don't reveal anything of their, their nature, their personality. They may not even tell us their names. But when we think about the Lord... This is the God who has told us his name, the God of all creation, the almighty God. And yet he condescends to us. He tells us his name. He tells us that he is the Lord who loves us. And we see that love for us in the Old Covenant. Uh, as we look at how God deals with Israel in the Old Testament, we see such love. We see such patience. We see how slow to anger he is. We see how long-suffering he is. We see how, how gracious he is. We hear how many gracious, rich promises he makes to his people, that he will be with them always, even though uh, they are so objectionable, not untrustworthy. He continues to reach out to them. He promises never to leave them. He promises to give them a home. <coughs> promises to give them rest. Promises to save them. And then if we think about... Uh, the Lord, as we think from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, uh, we see more and more of the riches of God's love for us and his grace towards us and his mercy shown to us in Christ. Jesus is the one who was and is the fulfillment of all the promises of God to his people. So who are we to praise? We praise this God. We praise the Lord. But we also praise God. Look at the description, the words used in verse 1. Praise the Lord, praise God. Praise Jehovah, praise El is the second word that's used there in Hebrew. And that means the strong God, the strong one, the almighty, the all-powerful, uh, the holy God, the God who is other than us. We praise him. Remember when Paul uh, came to Athens in, in Acts, I can't remember what chapter, is it Acts 16? 
And he, he's looking around Athens. He comes to Mars Hill, isn't it? And he sees this altar. And it says on it, uh, to the unknown God. And Paul speaks to the people and he says, I'm going to proclaim to you the God who is making himself known. Well, we gather this evening and with Psalm 150 open, we are invited to praise not the unknown God, but the God who is reaching out to us, who is speaking to us. The God who is making himself known to us, who has made himself known to us in creation, in his word, and supremely in the word made flesh, Jesus. And as our focus is drawn to him, as we see the love, the faithfulness, the power, the holiness of the Lord God, we are called, we are invited uh, to praise him. So that's the first point, the focus of our praise. We see the Lord God. And we are invited as we look to him to praise him. The second point we come to now is the field of praise. There are experts in all kinds of uh, fields, all kinds of areas of life. You can have experts in history. Ask them about different things that happened in Harris and they they have answers at the the tips of their fingers. Uh, We can have experts in medicine. If we have ailments and issues, we can go to them and they can give us expert advice. We can have experts in sport. You can ask them any kind of minutiae about different kinds of sports and they, they have answers. We could say they're experts in their field. But if you ask them a, a question about, uh, about another field that may interest someone else, they, they, have, they, have no, they have no answers to give. If you ask somebody who's an expert in history a question about geography, they'll say, well, you know, I, I don't have the answer. I'm not interested in the answer. It's not my field. And when it comes to the things of God... Some people would say, as we speak to them about the things of God, well, that's fine for you. You can get enthusiastic about that. You can read your Bible. You can gather in your building. You can sing praises. That's fine for you. But I'm not interested. You know, you can have your interest in the the things of God. I don't object to you having your faith. I don't object to you particularly coming into a building to, to worship. But this has nothing to do with me. I'm disconnecting. This is not my field. But that's not true. Not, we, we may not be particularly interested in God at this point in time. Perhaps there may be some even who are listening. Under duress. Saying, well, I'm not very interested in any of this. Not interested in the things of God. But the thing is, God is interested in you. And you and I will all stand before God. We will meet him. And what we hear through the psalm is that everyone is invited, everyone is called, everyone is summoned to praise the Lord God. Praise the Lord, verse 1. Praise God in his sanctuary, in his mighty heaven. So we have two fields of praise that we could say. There are two areas where praise is called for. His sanctuary, first of all, and his mighty heavens. So where is the sanctuary? What does that mean? Well, it could mean the, the temple in Jerusalem. That's Probably what was in the psalmist's mind as he wrote this. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise God in that temple, in that that place that was set aside in Jerusalem. But it could actually mean much more than that. It could be a much wider description than just the sanctuary, than that little place. Kidner, the commentator, says uh, the call is to God's worshippers on earth, meeting at his holy, at his chosen place, sorry. So his sanctuary... I think, is actually the, the whole earth. God is the creator. This is his world. He has put us in it. 
And every individual who stands on this earth is called to praise, to praise the Lord, to praise God. So there's to be uh, praise in the field of a sanctuary, but there's also to be praise in his mighty heavens. Now, where is that? Well, we don't have to think too long about that. Uh, his mighty heavens is talking about another world. It's talking about heaven. And also there, there is the call, there is the invitation, there is the, the summons to praise. John Stott summarizes it this way. He says, this verse is an invitation to both humans and angels to worship God. Humans in earth sanctuary and angels in heaven. It reminds us that praise of God is one, the church below joining angels and archangels and all the company of heaven in his worship. So when Farrakhan stands there to sing praise to God, he joins together with the angels as he responds with them to this call to praise God. When our hearts are moved to join together in that praise, we are responding together with the angels in heaven to praise the Lord, to praise God. So there are these fields of praise. His sanctuary, this world, his mighty heavens, the world to come. don't know if any of you uh, watched the football last weekend. I think it was on Monday night. I was catching up, watching some of the, the games. And uh, I was watching the highlights of the Liverpool versus West Brom game from Monday night. Now, for those who are following the Premiership, Liverpool needed to win that match. If they were to have any chance of having a place in Europe next season, Liverpool had to win that match. No draw, no loss, had to be a win. And so the game went on and it went on and it was, I think, five minutes past time. 90 minutes had passed, it was in overtime. And Liverpool, they had a corner in the dying seconds. So the guy went up to take the corner and then we saw a strange sight. We saw the Liverpool keeper uh, leaving his goal, coming to the, the box uh, of the opposing team. The shot, the corner was taken Liverpool keeper, unmarked, up he is in the air, heads the ball, scores the goal. And there was absolute jubilation on the pitch as he scored this goal. Final whistle was blown, Liverpool won the match. They're still in the running for Europe. And the keeper, a Brazilian, uh, his name is Alisson, uh, he's a Christian. And he was interviewed after uh, by match of the day. And uh, when he was asked about the goal, to talk him through the goal, he said, there are some things you can't explain in life. He says, the only explanation I can give is God. God put the ball in my head. God moved me to, to score this goal. He, he gave the glory, he gave the praise uh, to God as he spoke about this amazing goal that he scored. And then the interviewer went on to ask him uh, how he was. His father had recently passed away and uh, he became quite emotional as he spoke about his father's passing. And uh, he said something along the lines of this. He said, I hope that he is seeing this today with God at his side. And I kind of listened to that interview and thought about it a little. And we don't know too much about what heaven sees of this earth. Much of what is experienced in heaven is hidden from us. To be honest, I don't think a football match on planet earth is going to be of great interest to heaven. But football aside for a moment... When the Lord God is praised, whether it's in a church building or standing at the side of the pitch answering questions on match of the day, when God is praised, 
There's a joining together of those who are below in the sanctuary of this world with those who are in the mighty heavens. There's a joining together of the earth below, the sanctuary below, and the mighty heavens in the one action, the one activity, and that's the praise of God. And when we think about those that we miss, those who have gone on to be with the Lord, those who are in his mighty heavens, you know, we're never closer to them than we are when we are praising God. What is heaven doing? It's very difficult for us to compute any of that. But we know that in the mighty heavens, the angels, the heavenly host, are engaged in praising God. And we are invited, even through this psalm, to join with them, to join with the angels in praising the Lord God. So there's the focus of praise, the Lord God. There's the field of praise, the earth below, the sanctuary uh, below, and uh, his mighty heavens. And thirdly here, uh, we have the fours of praise. If you look at verse 2, you'll note in verse 2 that there's two fours in verse 2, two reasons for our praise of God. First of all, we praise him for his acts of power. And secondly, we praise God for his surpassing greatness. So first of all, thinking about his acts of power, we praise him for his acts of power. Well, what acts of power are these? To try and answer that question, I mean, how long have we got? Everything that we know of power, everything that requires power, comes from God. Think about creation. Everything that we see. Everything that we are comes from the power of God. He acted, and everything that was not came into existence through the power of God, power of his word. And everything that continues to be only continues to be because of the sustaining power of God. And as we think about salvation, that too uh, it comes flowing from that sole source, the power of God. We think back to the context of this psalm. Israel, as a nation, could look back on their salvation history, that salvation with a small s. They could recall victories over enemies that were far greater, far mightier than they were. And they could ask the question, where did we get the power to overcome? The answer was God. Think about David, the most famous psalmist. Standing against Goliath, little David. Standing against this mighty giant. How does he overcome him? Not in his own strength, but through the power of God. Think about the Exodus. Uh, The the nation of Israel uh, trapped in Egypt. uh, As they try to negotiate a release from Egypt, uh, what do they have to trade with? They have no political power. They have no military power. So how is it that they find a release from Egypt? Well, it was an act of God's power. The salvation that Israel knew as a nation, uh, it was all down to his acts of power. And as we think about our salvation, if we are saved here this evening, our salvation comes with a capital S. We're not thinking about uh, particular uh, victories in time. We're thinking about an eternal salvation. How is it possible for sinners like us to be saved? Well, in our strength, it was impossible. But through Christ, through his death, Through his resurrection, what was impossible for us was made possible by the act of God's power. And as we think about that, we should praise him. That's the the movement that we note in the hymn uh, that we sang. 
Praising God flows from a, a thankfulness for God's saving acts of power towards us in Christ. That's what we sang, isn't it? My heart is filled with thankfulness to him who bore my pain, who plumbed the depths of my disgrace and gave me life again, who crushed my curse of sinfulness and clothed me in his light and wrote his law of righteousness with power upon my heart. If you can sing these words and if they're true in your experience, we cannot but be moved to praise him. And if we have no praise for him, I would question if this is the salvation that we've been given. The fours of praise, we praise him for his acts of power. Secondly here, uh, we praise him for his surpassing greatness. And this is a really hard thing to even be able to say anything about in terms of a word of exposition. We praise him for his surpassing greatness. How do we explore this? How can we, how can we talk about the surpassing greatness of God? We don't have a vocabulary for it. You know, when we want to communicate how, how great a thing is, we measure that great thing in comparison to other things. We, we use hyperbole, to use the technical term to, to make the point. We might say, you know, she's as fast as a gazelle. Or we might say, uh, you know, she's as brave as a lion, or he's as strong as an ox. We're using the, the picture of something stronger or faster or braver to make a point. But when it comes to God... There's nothing and no one equal with or greater than him. We can't find a measure to speak about the greatness of God. We can't use hyperbole because we have uh, no images to, to employ. His greatness surpasses everything we know and can conceive of. And so the only fitting response to the surpassing greatness of God as we think about it for a moment and then find that we can't actually process this the only thing we can do is praise him john stott again says god's acts of power are not specified but will include his works of creation preservation providence and redemption they are the expression of his surpassing greatness this is the perennial theme of worship the greatness of god displayed in his works so we see there the the fours of praise, the reasons for praise. There's the focus of praise uh, as we look to the Lord God. There's the field of praise, uh, the sanctuary below, the heavens above. There's the fours, there's the reasons for, of praise, for praise. Uh, we praise God for his acts of power. We praise God for the surpassing greatness that's in himself. And finally, uh, we see here the fullness or we, we hear the fullness of praise that comes through this psalm. Uh, verses 3 to 5. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flute. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Josh, uh, who often sang for us uh, when uh, we were in lockdown, we weren't able to come into the church at all, the opera singer. He was in France for the last few weeks recording uh, a concert and there was various singers with them and a full orchestra and a conductor that he spoke about a few times and that's the picture here the psalmist is the conductor uh, we're part of this choir or this orchestra and we are being directed through the psalm to give wholehearted full praise to God Kidner says the answer to the question how we praise God is with everything you have 
We have all these instruments that are listed. Uh, the trumpet was an instrument that was used in great national and sacred occasions in Israel, for God was praised. The, the tambourine and dancing uh, were used in joyous celebrations, where there was a victory. The tambourine and dancing would be used to celebrate and to praise God. And the strings and the flute were kind of lower key, more everyday instruments that were used in everyday worship. And the variety of instruments that are listed here are listed to demonstrate the fullness of praise that there should be coming from our lives for the Lord God. Every occasion, every day, every context, we're to use everything we have, even our football boots, as the Brazilian keeper showed, to praise God. And yet fullness of praise, it's, it's not just about the, the instruments that are listed. It's not just about the things that we, that we use to make a noise. It's about who we are. It's our whole lives. Why do we have breath? Why do we have breath? We have breath so that we will use it to praise the Lord. Let everything, verse 6, that has breath praise the Lord. One of the lessons that we, that we learned from Psalm 148 was to note that the, the sea creatures and the wild animals, the cattle, uh, the birds, by their very being, in their intricacy, in their design, in their movements, they praise the Lord. And we are called, we are invited to join with them. And every living thing in praising the Lord from our hearts and with our whole lives. One commentator says the mere noise of instruments and movements of dancing are not acceptable to God. However beautiful, unless they express the devotion of our hearts and minds. This is a praise that, that comes from deep within our hearts and flows out of our lives, whether through the, the sung voice, the, the music that's played, or even the interviews that are given in Match of the Day. Praise begins at heart level and flows out through our lives until it's seen and heard. I think one of the best illustrations of, of this is uh, in, in a passage that I love from Mark 14. And we have that picture in that passage of uh, this, this lady who has been forgiven for much. And she comes into this place and uh, she begins to, to worship Jesus. She, she breaks this jar of, of perfume. She anoints Jesus with it, this expensive gift. The room's filled with the fragrance of this extravagant offering. And people look on with a critical eye and say, why the fuss? Why the expense? Why is she doing this? And Jesus says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. She did what she could. And you know, that's what we're called to do. We're called to do what we can. The Lord knows us. He knows our hearts. He knows our gifts. He knows our abilities. And you and I are called not to do what we can't, but we are called to do what we can to praise the Lord God from our hearts, with our whole lives, not just our Sundays, there's to be a fullness of praise to the Lord God. Stott again says, our worship is not to be confined to church services. On the contrary, while we breathe, we praise. And so the psalm finishes, praise the Lord. And the Psalter finishes with these words, praise the Lord. And if we fast forward all the way to Revelation, that book that takes us to the end of time and the beginning of eternity, if that's a phrase I can use. What do we hear? 
we hear the same words. Praise the Lord. Revelation 5, then I looked, says John, and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sea and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. This is how it all ends. This is the song of eternity. Praise the Lord. But if we are going to sing it in eternity, we must first sing it in time and respond to the invitation of the psalmist to praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us uh, to hear this call, to respond to this invitation. And to know the privilege and joy that begins in time and knows no end. That privilege of praising your name. Man's chief end is to glorify, to praise God. And there is eternal joy in doing so. So enable us, Lord, we pray, whilst there is time, to respond to this call. To look in faith to the Lord Jesus. And to live our lives to the glory and praise of his name. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I stand now for the benediction. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with us all, both now and forevermore. Amen. Well, good evening. A warm welcome to the service this evening, those who are in the building and those who are watching online, uh, those also who listen in the telephone uh, sometime uh, later. It's good for us to come together again and to worship God and uh, it's good to have uh, some visitors with us uh, here tonight, I think. Um, I was expecting some visitors. I'm not sure if I'm seeing any. Uh, yes, we are, yeah. It's good to see some visitors with us tonight, and it's good to have uh, some students uh, who've been away for a while back home. So good to see you, Kyle, and uh, others who may be coming back over the next few weeks. Let's uh, unite our hearts now in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you once more at the end of uh, this Lord's Day that you have taken us to this place, this place where you have promised that you will meet with us. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the assurance that you give us through your word that where we come together in the name of Jesus, even if it be only a few of us, you will meet with us, presence yourself uh, amongst us. And we ask, Lord, that we would know that, that we would sense that presence of God in this place. We pray that you would still our hearts. We pray that you would take away from our minds much of the, the troubles, the cares, the anxieties of this world that sometimes can, can block us from being able to worship you. We confess, Lord, that uh, these anxieties and struggles in this world, the cares of this world, as Jesus put it, uh, they can come up and they can choke us. They can, sometimes, uh, they can sometimes cause us to lose sight of you. But we thank you, Lord, uh, that we are promised that as we keep our eyes upon Jesus, uh, you will sustain us, uh, you will strengthen us, you will give us all that we need to keep on keeping on. So enable us, we pray, in this hour to truly be in worship, 
take away the anxieties, the, the stray thoughts. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, cleanse us from the sin that we confess. We look back over past days and we can think of situations, we can think of conversations, we can think of things that we should have done that we haven't and things that we shouldn't have done that we have. We can think of hours that we may have wasted, priorities which we may have put ahead of you. And we confess, Lord, all that amounts to sin. And we pray that you would cleanse us in the blood of Christ. And we ask, Lord, that in this hour also that you would empty us of self. We are people who are so quick to be turned in on ourselves. But we pray that you would uh, enable us not to have eyes on self, but to have eyes on Jesus. We pray that you would enable us to say and to say with sincerity what John the Baptist said. He, Jesus, must increase and I, self, must decrease. So we pray, Lord, that would be our mindset, that that would be our, our hearts as we seek to draw near to you this evening in worship. And we thank you, Lord, that as we seek to draw near to you, you have promised that you will draw near to us. And equally, when we seek to return to you, you've promised that you will return to us. When we humble ourselves, when we repent of sin, when we cry out to you, whether as individuals or whether as a land, we thank you that you hear our prayers, you hear our cries, and you are able to answer, you are able to heal. And so, Lord, we pray for that. We pray for that for ourselves and our own lives. We pray for that uh, for our nation. We confess, Lord, that we, we have strayed and we do stray far from you. But we thank you, Lord, that in this day we still have the freedom to be able to worship you. We listen to those that are in authority over us and we hear so little in the way of respect, in the way of fear of God. And that grieves us, Lord, as we know it grieves you. But we pray, Lord, that uh, you would turn us back to yourself. You've called us to pray for those that you've allowed to be in authority over us. And we would seek to do that even now. Those in positions of power, in politics, in this country and across uh, different countries in this world. We acknowledge, Lord, that you are the sovereign God. Nothing happens without uh, your permission. And uh, you have called us to, to bring those individuals that you've allowed to be in these positions before you in prayer. And so we do that now and we ask, Lord, that uh, you would enable us to know under uh, their government uh, peace and the freedom to be able to worship. We feel sometimes that that is under threat, but we pray against agendas that would seek to, to stifle the gospel. And we ask, Lord, that we would continue to know the, the, the freedom that we have to preach, to proclaim Christ, and to gather together in worship. We pray for the Prime Minister, we pray for the First Minister, we pray for those who are Christians in government. We pray especially for Kate Forbes, whom we've heard from in the past here. We thank you, Lord, for the encouragement of reading an interview with her this week, where she clearly uh, spoke of our faith in Jesus, of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And we pray that you would uh, bless her for, for that clarity of witness, and we pray that you would protect her, as we expect there will be a backlash uh, against that, uh, give to her courage and wisdom, enable her to seek first your kingdom, as we pray that you would enable each of us to seek first your kingdom. We pray for countries where there is no such freedom to worship. We've heard of some of them in past weeks and times of prayer midweek. Uh, we think of Pakistan, we think of India, we think of Iran, we think of Iraq, we think of the DPRK, 
and the little that we know of the horrors that your people have to endure in that place grieves us. But we pray that you would strengthen them. We pray that you would encourage them. And we thank you, Lord, that we hear so many testimonies of how in these places where the persecution is most acute, the gospel goes forth with greatest power. So we continue to pray for those whom we have not met in time, uh, but who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray for those who are struggling this evening. We pray on for those who are grieving, asking that you would give to them comfort. Pray for those who feel that uh, sense of loss of loved ones having been taken from a time, this time into eternity. We pray for others who, who have that sense of grief as relationships in this world can be severed and they can be broken. And as we think of them, Lord, we ask that you would draw near to them also. Uh, in this world, uh, there is much in the way of trouble, but we thank you that Jesus has overcome this world. And we thank you that as we call out to Christ ourselves and as we bring others to Jesus in prayer, Lord God, you are able to bring the comfort and the strength and the grace that is sufficient for all things. We ask, Lord, that you would be with those who are on holiday with us and those who uh, will come into the island in future weeks. We pray for your blessing upon them and for times of refreshment. We thank you for the students who have come back and who are coming back. We pray also that they would know times of refreshment over the summer months and that uh, they would know a close walk with you. And uh, we thank you, Lord, for your protection of us. Uh, we are thankful for the encouragement of being able to meet together in uh, greater numbers than we, we did at one time. And yet we remember that we are still uh, only a small gathering compared to uh, days gone by. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for your protection over us uh, over this year of pandemic. Uh, we thank you for so much of your guarding of us as we have seen so little in the way of infection in the island here. We thank you for those who have cared for us and those who have guided us through these difficult times. And Lord, we thank you that uh, you are the sovereign God and that even in circumstances that we could never have imagined and circumstances that we would never have chosen, we thank you that you have continued to work and continued to prove that you are faithful and that we are able to trust you. And we thank you, Lord, above all for the cross of Jesus. As we reflect on the words of the hymn, we thank you for the one who bore our pain, the one who took our disgrace upon himself in order that we could have life that is eternal. And so help us, we pray, to look to, to fix our eyes on Jesus. Help us, we pray, to come to the cross of Christ if we have never come there before, confessing sin and seeking salvation. And enable us, if we are your people, uh, to never stray any distance from the cross, but each day to come back to Calvary, to be filled with thankfulness to you for all that you have done for us in your grace. To hear our prayers, cleanse us from sin, fill us with the Holy Spirit, and enable us, we pray, as we open your word to meet with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. If you could open your Bibles now, please, at Psalm 150. Psalm 150. And we'll read the whole of this uh, short psalm. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine 
and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We'll pray once more as we come back to the word. Enable us, Lord, we pray, uh, to hear your voice. Enable us to sense your presence. And enable us from our hearts truly to praise you with the psalmist as we gather in your presence and as we bow before your throne. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to see some boys and girls here tonight. I'm going to give you a wee word of encouragement. We'll definitely be finished before 7 o'clock tonight. I'm sorry I've been a bit late the last few weeks. But uh, we're going to uh, move uh, through this short psalm quite quickly. And I want to begin this evening uh, by thinking about the fact that all of us get invitations. In fact, boys and girls, maybe you can, you can uh, answer that question for me. What kind of invitations do we get in this in this life. Do you know what's an invitation, first of all? Any ideas? Caitlin? Pardon? It's when somebody says, do you want to come to a place? So there's lots of times in this life that we get invitations. What kind of things do we get invited to? Can you think? Lewis? Parties, yeah. We get invited to parties. Andrew? Weddings, yes. I'm going to a wedding on Tuesday. I'm going to do a wedding on Tuesday. Nanny's granddaughter, Sheila, is getting married on Tuesday in the Harris Hotel. So I'm looking forward to that wedding on Tuesday. So that's a good answer. So weddings and parties and anything else? Can you think? doesn't matter if you can't think. No, that's enough. Well, we all get invitations to different places, don't we? Maybe some people get invited to come to church. I don't know, if the first time you came to church, is it because someone invited you? Probably. And every day we get invitations. We might not always, uh, always realise it, but every day we're getting invitations. On the day I was beginning preparing this message, um, it was just before 11 o'clock and I thought to myself, how many invitations have I had today? So I looked in my junk mail folder in my email and I had uh, an invitation to buy shirts from Fat Face from 20% off. I had an invitation to buy cashmere from the House of Brewer. Don't know how on earth I got that. An invitation to buy footwear from Millets. Uh, Lightwear fleeces from Outdoor and Country. I had an invitation from Barhead Travel to book a holiday and TU to make some plans come rain or shine. And that was all just one morning in my junk mail folder. Lots and lots of invitations. And as the boys and girls have said, we get lots of invitations in in life. We get invitations to go to weddings. We get invitations sometimes uh, to meet up for a coffee. I imagine this week past... Uh, when we've had a bit of freedom, somebody might have said, you want to come to the house? And let's have a cup of tea together. There's lots of invitations that we get in this, uh, in this life. And this psalm, this short psalm that we've read, it's an invitation that comes from God through the psalmist. We're not sure who wrote this psalm. And it comes to us. So this evening, as we've read this psalm, we have an invitation from God uh, to, to us, to praise him. John Stodd. The commentator says every verse is an invitation to praise, telling us where and why, how and by whom the praise of God should be expressed. So let's think just for a few minutes this evening about this invitation. Let's open up this invitation and consider this invitation and respond to this invitation that we're given to praise God. Four points this morning. Don't worry, there's not going to be ten points tonight as well. 
Four points this morning. The first point, I didn't tell Stuart this, the first point is the focus of our praise. Uh, The second point is the field of praise. The third point is the fours of praise. And the final point we have this evening is the fullness of praise. That kind of gives us the structure for the psalm. And it begins with that focus of praise. Now most of us have phones, don't we? And on our phones, there's lots of different apps that we have. And one thing that young people tend to use more than we uh, tend to use is the cameras. They're always on the cameras. And if you open up the camera on a phone and you point it in the direction of something, the camera lens will immediately search for the focus of the picture. Uh, so if there's individuals, if there's people in the, in the frame, the camera lens will immediately fix onto these people, onto these faces and try to get focus. Now what's the focus of the psalmist's praise as the psalm opens? That's the question and the answer very clearly comes from the beginning of the psalm. The focus is on God. If we open this psalm, we're not immediately to look at ourselves, although the Bible is like a mirror that shows us ourselves, but the, the focus of the psalm from the very beginning is God. Praise the Lord. Praise God. And that's the kind of verse that we might just note very briefly and move on from. And yet, even as we think about these opening words of introduction, even the names of God that the psalmist uses should stir us to praise. Who are we invited to praise? Well, we're invited to to praise the Lord, verse 1. The words that's used there for the Lord is the word Yah, Jehovah, short for Jehovah. And that's the covenant name for God. We praise the God who hasn't hidden himself from us and pushed us back. But we praise the God who has revealed himself to us and called us forward. We praise the God who, who has told us his name. We praise the God who's shared with us the, the great love that he has for us. We praise the Lord. There's some people that we, that we meet, that we encounter in life, and we might want to get to know them. We meet them and we, we feel a, an affinity with them. And we want to actually get close to them. But as we try to speak to them, they close us down. They don't reveal anything of their, their nature, their personality. They may not even tell us their names. But when we think about the Lord, this is the God who has told us his name. The God of all creation. The almighty God. And yet he condescends to us. He tells us his name. He tells us that he is the Lord who loves us. And we see that love for us in the Old Covenant. Uh, As we look at how God deals with Israel in the Old Testament, we see such love. We see such patience. We see how slow to anger he is. We see how long-suffering he is. We see how, how gracious he is. We hear how many gracious, rich promises he makes to his people, that he will be with them always, even though uh, they are so objectionable, not untrustworthy. He continues to reach out to them. He promises never to leave them. He promises to give them a home. <coughs> promises to give them rest. Promises to save them. And then if we think about... Uh, The Lord, as we think from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, uh, we see more and more of the riches of God's love for us and his grace towards us and his mercy shown to us in Christ. Jesus is the one 
who was and is the fulfillment of all the promises of God to his people. So who are we to praise? We praise this God. We praise the Lord. But we also praise God. Look at the description of the words used in verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise Jehovah. Praise El. It's the second word that's used there in Hebrew. And that means the strong God. The strong one. The almighty. The all-powerful. Uh, the holy God. The God who is other than us. We praise him. Remember when Paul uh, came to Athens in, in Acts, I can't remember what chapter, is it Acts 16? And he, he's looking around Athens. He comes to Mars Hill, isn't it? And he sees this altar. And it says on it, uh, to the unknown God. And Paul speaks to the people and he says, I'm going to proclaim to you the God who is making himself known. Well, we gather this evening and with Psalm 150 open, we are invited to praise not the unknown God, but the God who is reaching out to us, who is speaking to us, the God who is making himself known to us, who has made himself known to us in creation, in his word, and supremely in the word made flesh, Jesus. And as our focus is drawn to him, as we see the love, the faithfulness, the power, the holiness of the Lord God, we are called, we are invited to praise him. So that's the first point. The focus of our praise. We see the Lord God. And we are invited as we look to him to praise him. The second point we come to now is the field of praise. There are experts in all kinds of uh, fields, all kinds of areas of life. You can have experts in history. Ask them about different things that happened in Harris. And they they have answers at the the tips of their fingers. Uh, We can have experts in medicine. If we have ailments and issues, we can go to them and they can give us expert advice. We can have experts in sport. You can ask them any kind of minutiae about different kinds of sports and they, they have answers. We could say they're experts in their field. But if you ask them a, a question about, uh, about another field that may interest someone else, they, they, have, they, have no, they have no answers to give. If you ask somebody who's an expert in history a question about geography, they'll say, well, you know, I'm... I, I don't have the answer. I'm not interested in the answer. It's not my field. And when it comes to the things of God, some people would say, as we speak to them about the things of God, well, that's fine for you. You can get enthusiastic about that. You can read your Bible. You can gather in your building. You can sing praises. That's fine for you. But I'm not interested. You know, you can have your interest in the, in the things of God. I don't object to you having your faith. I don't object to you particularly coming into a building to to worship, but this has nothing to do with me. I'm disconnecting. This is not my field. But that's not true. We we, We may not be particularly interested in God at this point in time. Perhaps there may be some even who are listening under duress, saying, well, I'm not very interested in any of this. Not interested in the things of God. But the thing is, God is interested in you. And you and I will all stand before God. We will meet him. And what we hear through the psalm is that everyone is invited, everyone is called, everyone is summoned to praise the Lord God. Praise the Lord, verse 1, praise God in his sanctuary, in his mighty heaven. So we have two fields of praise that we could say there, two areas where praise is called for. His sanctuary, first of all, and his mighty heavens. So where is the sanctuary? 
What does that mean? Well, it could mean the, the temple in Jerusalem. That's probably what was in the psalmist's mind as he wrote this. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise God in that temple and that, that place that was set aside in Jerusalem. But it could actually mean much more than that. It could be a much wider description than just the sanctuary, than that little place. Kidner, the commentator, says uh, the call is to God's worshippers on earth, meeting at his holy, at his chosen place, sorry. So his sanctuary, I think, is actually the, the whole earth. God is the creator. This is his world. He has put us in it. And every individual who stands on this earth is called to praise to praise the Lord, to praise God. So there's to be uh, praise in the field of a sanctuary, but there's also to be praise in his mighty heavens. Now, where is that? Well, we don't have to think too long about that. Uh, his mighty heavens is talking about another world. It's talking about heaven. And also there, there is the call, there is the invitation, there is the, the summons to praise. John Stott summarizes it this way. He says, this verse is an invitation to both humans and angels to worship God, humans in earth sanctuary and angels in heaven. It reminds us that praise of God is one, the church below joining angels and archangels and all the company of heaven in his worship. So when Farrakhan stands there to sing praise to God, he joins together with the angels as he responds with them to this call to praise God. When our hearts are moved to join together in that praise, we are responding together with the angels in heaven to praise the Lord, to praise God. So there are these fields of praise, his sanctuary, this world, his mighty heavens, the world to come. I don't know if any of you uh, watched the football last weekend. I think it was on Monday night. I was catching up, watching some of the, the games and, uh, I was watching the highlights of the Liverpool versus West Brom game from Monday night. Now, for those who are following the Premiership, Liverpool needed to win that match. If they were to have any chance of having a place in Europe next season, Liverpool had to win that match. No draw, no loss, had to be a win. And so the game went on and it went on and it was, I think, five minutes past time. 90 minutes had passed, it was in overtime. And Liverpool, they had a corner in the dying seconds. So the guy went up to take the corner. And then we saw a strange sight. We saw the Liverpool keeper uh, leaving his goal, coming to the, the box uh, of the opposing team. The shot, the corner was taken. Liverpool keeper unmarked, up he is in the air, heads the ball, scores the goal. And there was absolute jubilation on the pitch as he scored this goal. Final whistle was blown. Liverpool won the match. They're still in the running for Europe. And the keeper, a Brazilian, uh, his name is Alisson. Uh, he's a Christian. And he was interviewed after uh, by match of the day. And uh, when he was asked about the goal, to talk him through the goal, he said, there are some things you can't explain in life. He says, the only explanation I can give is God. God put the ball in my head. God moved me to, to score this goal. He, he gave the glory, he gave the praise uh, to God as he spoke about this amazing goal that he scored. And then the interviewer went on to ask him uh, how he was. His father had recently passed away, and uh, he became quite emotional as he spoke about his father's passing. 
And uh, he said something along the lines of this. He said, I hope that he is seeing this today with God at his side. And I kind of listened to that interview and thought about it a little. And we don't know too much about what heaven sees of this earth. Much of what is experienced in heaven is hidden from us. To be honest, I don't think a football match on planet earth is going to be of great interest to heaven. But, football aside for a moment, when the Lord God is praised, whether it's in a church building or standing at the side of the pitch answering questions on match of the day, when God is praised, there's a joining together of those who are below in the sanctuary of this world with those who are in the mighty heavens. There's a joining together of the earth below, the sanctuary below, and the mighty heavens in the one action, the one activity, and that's the praise of God. And when we think about those that we miss, those who have gone on to be with the Lord, those who are in his mighty heavens, you know, we're never closer to them than we are when we are praising God. What is heaven doing? It's very difficult for us to compute any of that. But we know that in the mighty heavens, the angels, the heavenly host, are engaged in praising God. And we are invited, even through this psalm, to join with them, to join with the angels in praising the Lord God. So there's the focus of praise, the Lord God. There's the field of praise, the earth below, the sanctuary uh, below, and uh, his mighty heavens. And thirdly here, uh, we have the fours of praise. If you look at verse 2, you'll note in verse 2 that there's two fours in verse 2. Two reasons for our praise of God. First of all, we praise him for his acts of power. And secondly, we praise God for his surpassing greatness. So first of all, thinking about his acts of power, we praise him for his acts of power. Well, what acts of power are these? If we try and answer that question, I mean, how long have we got? Everything that we know of power, everything that requires power, comes from God. Think about creation. Everything that we see, everything that we are, comes from from the power of God. He acted, and everything that was not came into existence through the power of God, power of his word. And everything that continues to be only continues to be because of the sustaining power of God. And as we think about salvation, that too uh, it comes flowing from that sole source, the power of God. We think back to the context of this psalm. Israel as a nation could look back on their salvation history, that salvation with a small s. They could recall victories over enemies that were far greater, far mightier than they were. And they could ask the question, where did we get the power to overcome? The answer was God. Think about David, the most famous psalmist. Standing against Goliath, little David. Standing against this mighty giant. How does he overcome him? Not in his own strength, but through the power of God. Think about the Exodus. Uh, the, the nation of Israel uh, trapped in Egypt. Uh, as they try to negotiate a release from Egypt, uh, what do they have to trade with? They have no political power. They have no military power. So how is it that they find a release from Egypt? Well, it was an act of God's power. The salvation that Israel knew as a nation, uh, it was all down to 
his acts of power. And as we think about our salvation, if we are saved here this evening, our salvation comes with a capital S. We're not thinking about uh, particular uh, victories in time. We're thinking about an eternal salvation. How is it possible for sinners like us to be saved? Well, in our strength, it was impossible. But through Christ, through his death, through his resurrection, what was impossible for us was made possible by the act of God's power. And as we think about that, we should praise him. That's the the movement that we note in the hymn uh, that we sang. Praising God flows from a, a thankfulness for God's saving acts of power towards us in Christ. It's what we sang, isn't it? My heart is filled with thankfulness to him who bore my pain, who plumbed the depths of my disgrace and gave me life again, who crushed my curse of sinfulness and clothed me in his light and wrote his law of righteousness with power upon my heart. If you can sing these words and if they're true in your experience, we cannot but be moved to praise him. And if we have no praise for him, I would question if this is the salvation that we've been given. The forms of praise, we praise him for his acts of power. Secondly here, uh, we praise him for his surpassing greatness. And this is a really hard thing to even be able to say anything about in terms of a word of exposition. We praise him for his surpassing greatness. How do we explore this? How can we How can we talk about the surpassing greatness of God? We don't have a vocabulary for it. You know, when we want to communicate how how great a thing is, we measure that great thing in comparison to other things. We we use hyperbole, to use the technical term to, to make the point. We might say, you know, she's as fast as a gazelle. Or we might say, uh, you know, she's as brave as a lion, or he's as strong as an ox. We're using the the picture of something stronger or faster or braver to make a point. But when it comes to God, there's nothing and no one equal with or greater than him. We can't find a measure to speak about the greatness of God. We can't use hyperbole because we have uh, no images to, to employ. His greatness surpasses everything we know and can conceive of. And so the only fitting response to the surpassing greatness of God as we think about it for a moment and then find that we can't actually process this, the only thing we can do is praise him. John Stott again says, God's acts of power are not specified, but will include his works of creation, preservation, providence and redemption. They are the expression of his surpassing greatness. This is the perennial theme of worship, the greatness of of God displayed in his works. So we see there the the fors of praise, the reasons for praise. There's the focus of praise as we look to the Lord God. There's the field of praise, uh, the sanctuary below, the heavens above. There's the fors, there's the reasons of praise, for praise. Uh, We praise God for his acts of power. We praise God for the surpassing greatness that's in himself. And finally, uh, we See here the fullness, or we we hear the fullness of praise that comes through this psalm, uh, verses 3 to 5. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flute. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Josh 
uh, who often sang for us uh, when uh, we were in lockdown. We weren't able to come into the church at all, the opera singer. He was in France for the last few weeks recording uh, a concert, and there was various singers with him and a full orchestra and a conductor that he spoke about a few times. And that's the picture here. The psalmist is the conductor. Uh, We're part of this choir or this orchestra and we are being directed through this psalm to give wholehearted, full praise to God. Kidner says the answer to the question how we praise God is with everything you have. We have all these instruments that are listed. Uh, The trumpet was an instrument that was used in great national and sacred occasions in Israel where God was praised. The the tambourine and dancing uh, were used in joyous celebrations where there was a victory. The tambourine and dancing would be used to celebrate and to praise God. And the strings and the flute were kind of lower key, more everyday instruments that were used in everyday worship. And the variety of instruments that are listed here are listed to demonstrate the fullness of praise that there should be coming from our lives for the Lord God. Every occasion, every day, every context, we're to use everything we have, even our football boots, as the Brazilian keeper showed, to praise God. And yet fullness of praise, it's it's not just about the, the instruments that are listed. It's not just about the things that we, that we use to make a noise. It's about who we are. It's our whole lives. Why do we have breath? Why do we have breath? We have breath so that we will use it to praise the Lord. Let everything, verse 6, that has breath praise the Lord. One of the lessons that we, that we learned from Psalm 148 was to note that the, the sea creatures and the wild animals... The cattle, uh, the birds, by their very being, in their intricacy, in their design, in their movements, they praise the Lord. And we are called, we are invited to join with them and every living thing in praising the Lord from our hearts and with our whole lives. One commentator says the mere noise of instruments and movements of dancing are not acceptable to God however beautiful, unless they express the devotion of our hearts and minds. This is a praise that that comes from deep within our hearts and flows out of our lives, whether through the the sung voice, the, the music that's played, or even the interviews that are given on Match of the Day. Praise begins at heart level and flows out through our lives until it's seen and heard. I think one of the best illustrations of of this is a, in a passage that I love from Mark 14. And we have that picture in that passage of uh, this, this lady who has been forgiven for much. And she comes into this place and uh, she begins to, to worship Jesus. She, she breaks this jar of, of perfume. She anoints Jesus with it, this expensive gift. The room's filled with the fragrance of this extravagant offering. And people look on with a critical eye. And say, why the fuss? Why the expense? Why is she doing this? And Jesus says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. She did what she could. And you know, that's what we're called to do. We're called to do what we can. The Lord knows us. He knows our hearts. He knows our gifts. He knows our abilities. And you and I are called not to do what we can't, but we are called to do what we can. 
to praise the Lord God from our hearts, with our whole lives, not just our Sundays. There's to be a fullness of praise to the Lord God. Stott again says, our worship is not to be confined to church services. On the contrary, while we breathe, we praise. And so the psalm finishes, praise the Lord. And the Psalter finishes with these words, praise the Lord. And if we fast forward all the way to Revelation, that book that takes us to the end of time and the beginning of eternity, if that's a phrase I can use, what do we hear? We hear the same words, praise the Lord. Revelation 5, then I looked, says John, and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sea, and on the sea, and all that is in them, singing to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be praise, and honour, and glory, and power, forever and ever. This is how it all ends. This is the song of eternity. Praise the Lord. But if we are going to sing it in eternity, we must first sing it in time, and respond to the invitation of the psalmist to praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us uh, to hear this call, to respond to this invitation, and to know the privilege and joy that begins in time and knows no end, that privilege of praising your name. Man's chief end is to glorify, to praise God, and there is eternal joy in doing so. So enable us Lord, we pray, whilst there is time to respond to this call, to look in faith to the Lord Jesus and to live our lives to the glory and praise of his name. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I stand now for the benediction. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with us all, both now and forevermore. Amen.